passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosswinds. I'd like to begin in a little different way this morning. When we were doing this series called Taming the Tongue, the hardest part for, of that series for me is when I finished preaching the series and I looked back on some of the things I said, I regretted some of the things I said in the series about the way I spoke about some things. Now for me, I, the irony of that does not escape me. When you're teaching about taming the tongue and yet you regret some of the very words you used when you're preaching about taming the tongue, just a very interesting thing, very convicting. Uh, one of the things I said was just a side offhand comment. I was commenting on the LGBTQ community and I made a comment about them with sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing. And after I thought about it later and talked with some friends about it, I realized that sort of came across to those in that community it would be in an unloving way. Now, just to say, obviously, I do not agree with the lifestyle that those in the LGBTQ community have chosen. But I don't want to ever conduct myself, and nor should any of us conduct ourselves in an unloving way or use unloving language towards those in that community. If they want to be offended at anything, if anybody's going to be offended, maybe the words of Jesus, not our own personal words. We want to always speak to others who are in need of Jesus in a very loving and gracious way. They're struggling with a sin issue. They just haven't met Jesus. We're struggling with a sin issue, and we have met Jesus, and Jesus is the one who's made all the difference in our lives. So I wanted to just begin by correcting that and clarifying that. The other thing is that during that series, at one point I used an illustration of a person who was given a presidential pardon. And even though when I used that illustration, I said very clearly, this is not a political illustration. I was trying to illustrate the fact of the presidential pardon that was given to man. After talking to some people, even though I said it was not intended politically, I think some people may have perceived it to be a political illustration. And I want to make something very clear. As a church, Crosswinds is not a political church. We are a Jesus church. We do not fall on either side of the political aisle because uh, we're not here on a Sunday to promote politics. On Sunday, we're here to worship Jesus because we desperately need Jesus. Folks, there's a saying that I've used for years. I haven't necessarily used it commonly from the pulpit, but it's, it's a saying that's very near and dear to me, and it's this. The problem is always sin, and the answer is always Jesus. The common word in both of those statements is the word always. It doesn't matter if it's war in Europe. It doesn't matter if it's the COVID-19 pandemic. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage that breaks down. It doesn't matter if it's poverty in this world. Ultimately, it's not a political problem. Ultimately, behind all that, the problem that brings about all the suffering in this world is sin. Sin is always the source of the problems that we have in this world. 
And when the problem is ultimately sin, the only solution to the problem of sin is Jesus. That is why we preach about Jesus. That is why we teach about Jesus. Now, this, I'm not saying that we should not be involved in, in, in our local politics, and I'm not saying that we should not vote, of course. That's as part of civic responsibility and something we should do. But as a church, we're not here to promote politics. We're here to promote Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can solve the problem behind all problems in this world. The Bible talks about, in the book of Revelation, a period of time called the millennium, where uh, Satan and his demons are bound from the earth, and Jesus rules over the earth for a period of a thousand years. And you know what happens? Things go amazingly well when Jesus is in charge. Because Jesus is not just the one who created everything, he is the one who rightfully rules over everything, and he is the only one who is capable of rightly ruling in this world. Every other human being will fall short in some way, which is why politics are not the ultimate answer, and Jesus is the answer. So I just wanted to make sure I clarified that, if it was unclear, that as a church, we are not a political church. We are a Jesus church from beginning all the way to the end. I'm going to go ahead and pray before we begin our study. And Leslie, thank you for uh, pointing out to me that I did not dismiss the children. So children, if there's any of them left, Leslie's glad most of them. You're dismissed and follow Leslie. Let's pray and then we're going to get into our study. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Thank you for the forgiveness that is uh, found in your son. And Lord Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me for anything I may have said during that series that was misunderstood or taken the wrong way. I thank you that you forgive us, as it says in 1 John 1, 9. But I also know that it's important to be able to talk to the people that maybe you have sinned against. And so I thank you for the ability to begin with that uh, here at church. Now, as we get into this uh, study, this series of broken, about broken vessels and how you use ordinary people in amazing ways, I ask that you would encourage us through your word and that we would be some of those ordinary people that you use in amazing ways for your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's precious name, amen. As I mentioned, we're in a series called Broken Vessels, how God likes to use ordinary people and broken people in amazing ways for his kingdom. The Bible has many characters that are larger than life. By that, I'm talking about guys like Moses or, or David or, or Paul. They're amazing, but quite honestly, sometimes they're so big, it's a little bit tough to connect to. But as you drag your finger through the text, you find in the text there's a number of smaller characters, minor characters that just pop in and out of the Bible in little tiny ways. But yet if you trace their life, it's, amazingly, it's amazing how God uses them in ways you wouldn't expect. Those minor characters are people that I can more readily connect to. Maybe you're the same way. Most of us are not going to be famous people. 
Most of us are not going to have 100,000 followers on social media. We'll live ordinary lives, not necessarily know too many people, and we'll wonder, God, can you use me? And in this series, you should be incredibly encouraged as you see how God uses very minor characters and people. And this morning, we're looking at a minor character named Barnabas. I think we could call him Barney for short. And that's not because I'm encouraging you to think of him as a large purple dinosaur. But he was a guy who was a down-to-earth, ordinary person who was comfortable with nicknames. We find him mentioned just a few times in the New Testament. What we're going to do this morning is look at some of the key passages about his life as he pops in and pops out. We'll see why he was given his name, and we'll see what character qualities about him that God used in significant ways. So if you have your outlines, take those out. We'll start on the very top where it says this. It's called Meet Barnabas. The first time we see Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. At the time uh, in the early church, things were going very well. They were unified in prayer, and they were unified in purpose. They were of one heart. They were of one mind. We read this in Acts chapter 4, 32 through 34. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold." It says here that everyone was united. They were of one heart and mind. Now, folks, this is not a description of what is your average church meeting. Isn't that true? Usually church meetings are known as opportunities for those with different opinions to voice their opinions. Some people want to have those nice boxes of Pepperidge Farm goldfish crackers, for children in the nursery, but then there's others. They were to use the leftover communion bread from the week before to save money. You know, those are the kind of things that come up in church meetings. What should we use for the kids' nursery? Big, important topics like that. And church meetings sometimes end up devolving into sort of a Christian version of USC Fight Club. You know what I'm talking about. Instead of using boxing gloves, they use Bibles. Now, thankfully, by the way, I have not seen this happen at Crosswinds. Crosswinds is a place where the church meetings have been healthy meetings, but I'm going to tell you that I have been part of churches in my ministry where they were rather contentious meetings. But here we find that the early church was different. There is a great diversity among the people in ages and in backgrounds. Most of the people in the early church in Jerusalem when it first began were from out of town. They spoke different languages. They stayed in town with the Passover after Jesus rose from the dead. They stayed in town after Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But in spite of all of this diversity of ages and backgrounds that are all in Jerusalem in the early church, they are unified. They are getting along very well. What enables that? 
unity in a church. There's a little line in Ephesians that tells us where it comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And unity is a gift from the Holy Spirit in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When people in the church are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, there is unity in the church. Notice that this unity that was fragile, it has to be worked to be maintained. Paul says, eager to maintain the unity. In other words, it must be pursued, it must be worked on. When in the church people have differences of opinion, the Holy Spirit doesn't usually make those differences of opinion just magically go away. What he does is he enables us to work through those differences in a way that actually draws us closer together rather than tears us apart. And that is what's happening in the early church. Different people, different backgrounds, different experiences, yet the Holy Spirit has them knit together. I picture the early church after the days of Pentecost, a little bit like some of the homeless camps we see on the news that exists in our major cities. People on the streets, <laughs> intense, trying to make it through. That's what it was like. People, remember, had come as pilgrims from out of town to Jerusalem. They weren't planning on staying for long periods of time. But then the resurrection of Jesus took place. And then the coming of the Holy Spirit took place at Pentecost. And the church was born, and you have thousands of people that are just trying to figure things out, and they're all knit together. And some of them are getting hungry. And there's homeless. They didn't expect to stay in town. And this is where we read a very shocking line. There is not a needy person among God's people. In spite of the massive benevolent needs in the early church, people of means, of resources, brought those to the church, and those resources were used to feed the hungry and the homeless. And it is in this situation that we meet the man we're going to talk about this morning, the man named Barnabas. We find him in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Ah, the first thing we learn is this man's name is actually not Barnabas. His given name is Joseph. But uh, the leaders of the church had nicknamed him Barnabas because he was so encouraging to other people. In fact, that's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement. <laughs> Many of us have nicknames. Nicknames were given to us in junior high. You know the ones I'm talking about? Nicknames we would rather forget and certainly wouldn't be appropriate to share on Sunday morning. But every once in a while, somebody is given a nickname that sticks, a nickname that's appropriate, and that is Barnabas. It's a nickname that stuck because it was such a good fit. And that was our first point here. Barnabas was nicknamed the encourager. I want to pause for a moment and talk to you about 
encouragement and just what an important role that plays in our lives every day. Folks, life is hard. If you're like me, every week you face things that break your heart. For some people I know, they work very long hours. Others I know it's the pace of life that never end. Some people, they're elderly and they constantly have pain in their body. Some of you are awake at night because of the choices your children have made and it just does hurt your soul. Others of you are facing financial pressures with the rate of inflation and the cost of everything going up. Folks, life is hard. Can I get an amen out of that at least? Oh yes, it's very hard. But it's not just that life is hard. Sometimes people in life can be hard. And that really takes a lot out of you. Anybody experience people who yell at you? People who demean you? People who say hurtful things about you? That can just take the very marrow out of your soul, can't it? Well, when life is hard, and people can be really hard, folks, we all need someone to encourage us in the hard life, difficult times. Now, even if it's just a kind word, even if it's just a smile across the room, folks, you have no idea how important a little bit of kind and encouraging words can be in someone else's life. Ordinary people in the church, just like you and me, when they go out of their way to be kind to others, to just say ordinary, encouraging words to others, you have no idea the significance of lifting people up in very difficult times that they face. I don't want to spend this morning going over a variety of things in my background and my life, but I can tell you that I've been through some very dark times. I've been through some times of great depths of despair. Life has not always been easy, folks. Uh, there was a time when I asked my wife to take the key to my gun lock and, and hide it. I was not suicidal. I wasn't there. But you know, you, you're really, really dark spots in your life. You wonder how dark it could possibly get. I, I've been through some of those things. But I'll tell you, it was in those darkest hours that God brought me through, and not just by praying and reading the Bible, but he, sent, <clears throat> but he sent some very ordinary people into my life that were incredibly encouraging when I needed to hear it. One of those men was an elderly pastor who is now home with Jesus. And about every week or two, he would call me up and he would listen to what was going on and he'd encourage me and he'd say, I believe in you. And he, he really, in other ways, he fought for me. He has no idea how incredibly important was the encouragement he provided me in those dark and difficult days. Folks, I cannot emphasize to you the importance of encouragement the importance of ordinary people, just like each one of us who takes the time to talk to other people, 
to say just a few encouraging words to other people, you have no idea the significance that that will be. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, when we come together, it's not just to hear a sermon. It's not just to sing songs of worship. It's to be together and to encourage one another because we need that. Life is hard. People can be very hard. We need to be encouraged, and that's what we do with one another when we get together. So I ask you, all right, here in the beginning, if people were forced to make a nickname up for you today, what would it be? Would they call you the encourager? Is that what would come to mind? Or would the name that came to mind be something less flattering? Folks, encouraging words to cheer us on are incredibly important, and we all need them. Let's learn a little bit more about Joseph, who is nicknamed Barnabas the Encourager. We see he was a Levite. That means he was a man from the tribe of Levi, which means his background was that he was trained to work in the temple. He was well-educated in Judaism. He knew the law. He knew uh, the, the temple ceremonies, but he left all of that to follow Jesus. Barnabas was one of those people that was in Jerusalem, but he was originally from out of town. We see that he was from Cyprus. Tyler, go ahead and stick that map up if you could. There's where Cyprus was. You can see it's a large island uh, out in the, in the sea there. He apparently had come into town for Passover or Pentecost and stayed in town with all the happenings with Jesus. And this is when we see the first way that he was known for incredible encouragement. This is what gives him the nickname, the first one. Here we see Barnabas was an encourager. It was by opening his eyes to see needs and making big sacrifices to meet them. We find that in verse 37. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas sold the field, laid all the profits at the feet of the apostles, sort of as a benevolent gift, and that money would be used to feed the hungry in Jerusalem who were Christians that were in town to help those little children who were crying because they were, were starving. That is what he did. Now, we don't know uh, all the details about this. We do know that Levites in the Old Testament were not allowed to possess property, were not given property, but somehow, whatever the circumstances were, Barnabas, who was a Levite, came to possess this piece of property, which had been a rare and very important thing. But yet... He saw the need and knew he was in a position to make a big difference and to do something about it. So he was willing to sell that piece of property so that hungry, the hungry in Jerusalem could eat. Think about what an encouragement that was to so many people. Think of the thousands in the early church, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, who began in the church then. How many hungry mouths were there? And yet this was a huge gift. 
I don't know the amount of money, but I just begin to postulate, and those of you who know more about this than me can correct me right from the floor, I don't mind. Uh, probably this piece of property, this field, my guess is that it was near Jerusalem, because that would be a way he could be in Jerusalem and sell it. Uh, and in real estate, location is everything. I'm assuming the pieces of property around Jerusalem are rather wealthy or expensive. It's a field. Uh, what are fields worth here in Spirit Lake, Iowa? Near the city. I'm going to guess, what do they range? Somewhere between $100,000 to half a million dollars, depending on the size of the field? What do you guys think? Something like that? Tom, you're the real. Could be. Well, imagine taking somewhere between $100,000 to half a million dollars and giving that all as a benevolent gift so that people in Jerusalem could eat. What an incredible, incredible sacrifice. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that's, that's good. I get the idea. See the need. Meet the need. Here's people that are hungry. I have some resources. I could do some large benevolent gifts to meet the need. I got it. The problem is, I'm not like Barnabas. I don't have an extra field laying around. I don't have $100,000. I don't have large amounts of money. Not much I can do to meet a need. But why don't we look at it from a different perspective. Something where all of us have the same amount of a particular resource called time. Sometimes there's people in need and all of us have time we can give. Time that would make any difference and be an incredible encouragement. When Cindy and I were first married, we bought a 90-year-old farmhouse. And it was a fixer-upper, to say the least. You know, dirt driveway, this dilapidated small barn in the back, and everything leaked, and I thought, you know, being a young guy, I'll try the fixer-upper thing. The problem is that I grew up right outside of New York City, and fixer-uppers in the field is not my background. So the first thing I decided I would try to do something about is the dirt driveway. It would have all those big dips in it. I thought, why don't I just call a big truck and have them dump a whole bunch of rock in that you know, big you know, one three-quarter to one-inch stuff. So this dump truck came in. He says, where do you want it? And I said, why don't you just put it over the corner there, dump it there, and I'll spread it myself. <laughs> Obviously a city boy. I owned a lot of tools for that, one shovel and a rake. And it was July. And I remember, here I am on a Saturday in July, just trying to get the shovel into the rock and walk all the way to the end of the driveway and walk back and forth. This was a bad idea. And it was at that point, a man in the church, I was a youth pastor at the time, he, he called me up, hey, I just want to see how are you doing and stuff. And I told him what I was doing. I said, this is going to take forever. And he said, I'll come right over. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, I've got a shovel. I have a rake. I can help you. And he gave up his Saturday on the spot, and he spent a Saturday afternoon in July helping me spread that rock. He saw a need, and he met a need. And to this day, that man is one of my closest friends. 
I have never, ever forgotten how willing he was to sacrifice his time to help me in my time of need. Folks, that's something that every single one of us can do. We see the need, meet the need, just like Barnabas did. One of the things I like about the modern world is caller ID. You guys like caller ID? Here's why. It's because if you're not in my contact book and you're calling me, I won't answer. Because I have so many telemarketers that are calling me. At least, caller ID lets me screen things. But imagine if they had caller ID back in the first century, at the time that Barnabas was alive, and his name came up on somebody else's phone. Do you think people ignored him and sent him to voicemail? Or do you think people were eager to answer that phone when he called? I'll tell you, they were be eager to answer that phone because every single one of us is desperately in need of encouragement in this life. And they knew that if they talked to Barnabas, they would find it. Folks, I ask you, when your name comes up on the caller ID of somebody else's phone, do they want to send you to voicemail? Or are they eager to pick it up because they know that your words will give them some of the encouragement that they desperately need in this world. Because life is hard. People are hard. We all need some encouragement. That brings us to the next point about Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager by assuming the best about people, not the worst. The next time we meet Barnabas after Acts chapter 4 is in Acts chapter 9, verse 23. In Acts chapter 9, what had happened is, you'll remember Saul was on his way to Damascus. He was going to arrest Christians, and then Jesus showed up to him on the Damascus road and completely reorientated Saul's life. Saul uh, quickly became Paul, not the one who was persecutor of Christians, but the one who was a devout and loving Christian. And he showed up in Damascus, and instead of persecuting the Christians, he joined them. In fact, the Bible tells us that he spent time proving to um, the Jews in Damascus that Jesus is indeed the Christ. And the Jews there were becoming very frustrated with him. They decided they wanted to bump Paul off. We're going to get rid of him. And they said watchmen at the different city gates waiting for Paul, Paul to try and escape the city, in which case they'd attack and kill him. The Christians didn't know what to do. Finally, somebody had one of those, what you call Indiana Jones ideas. He said, there's a hole in the top of the city wall. Maybe we can get him out through the hole of the wall, let him down by a rope. And they obviously did not trust him to hold on to the rope all the way to the bottom. So they put a lady's basket on the end of the rope. They let him down in a, in a basket. Now, I don't like heights. I don't know about you. But I also don't like trying to trust a lady's woven basket when I would be going down the side of a high wall. I'm sure that was Paul. But the good news is Paul made it to the bottom, and Paul went to Jerusalem, and this is where we read what happened in Acts chapter 9. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Can you picture this situation? Paul is incredibly excited about Jesus, as most new Christians are. He wants to talk to somebody about them. And he's excited over the fact he just escaped from Damascus in a basket. So he comes up to the doors of the Christians' houses. He knocks on the door and he says, I'm formerly Saul, but now I'm Paul. I love Jesus and I just escaped in a basket. Can I join your church? Slam. We don't want to talk to you. And not just once, but door after door, this happens. And Paul cannot make headway into the church at all. And the tragedy is what Paul experienced in the church of Jerusalem is honestly re-experienced in many churches today. People who look a little bit odd, people who look a little different, people who maybe come out of a a bad background or a different background, they show up in a a church on a Sunday. Uh, Maybe it's the pink hair. Maybe it's the gothic look. Maybe it's the overabundance of tattoos. I don't know what it may be, but we don't slam the door in their face. You know what we do? We shun them gently. We all stay huddled with our other friends, hoping that they would just go away. But notice, Barnabas was different. Barnabas did not shut him out. Barnabas reached out to him. Barnabas befriended him, and then Barnabas became a bridge to tell Paul's story to other people so Paul could connect with other people in Jerusalem. If it had not been for Paul, giving, excuse me, Barnabas giving Paul that other chance, Paul would probably still be knocking on those doors today and still not be let in. Let me give you an example of this. A few years ago at Crosswinds, there was a man who came in the doors. He was a a black fella. Still remember, a big, tall black guy. He began taking pictures of everything. My inner New Yorker, growing up in the East Coast, flags went up. This guy's case in the building. He's taking pictures of our sound system. He wants to steal things. It wasn't just me. I know other people were feeling it too. Uh, One of the ladies in the church came up to me, and this is not a joke. She said, I think we have a terrorist. Honest, truthful. And I know what was happening. People were sort of ignoring him, shunning him, hoping he would go away. But there was a person in the building one person that reached out to him, that befriended him. In fact, that very day, invited him to his house for lunch. Later that week, invited that black man to go out boating with the family, and then came back to the church and told everyone this person's story. No, he was not some kind of inner city thug. Actually, he was a J-1 student from Africa who was here, and yes, he, he, he was a Christian, and he, he loved Jesus. And the interesting thing was at the end of the summer, what happened was that student who was a J-1 student that now is known by many of us uh, had a situation where he was supposed to go back 
to Europe. See, he was actually studying to be a doctor in Europe. And the interesting part was the person who connected with him here at Crosswinds was also a doctor. In fact, you probably know the names of who I'm talking about already. That man's name, who was, the, who was from Africa, was Shepard Goto. And the man who connected with him that was a doctor was Dr. Gamash here at Crosswinds. And Dr. Gamash invited him into his family. And when it came time for Shepard to go back to Europe to finish his schooling to be a doctor, the funds fell short. And Shepard was not able to go back. But Dr. Gamash and a handful of other people worked together to provide the funding for Shepard to be able to go back to school to become a doctor. The next summer, Shepard returned here for a brief period of time. And I remember I saw him in the hall and he asked, he said, could I please talk to the church? And I said, okay. And he came up front from this very stage and he began, some of you will remember this, he began to just be in tears and cry and thank the church for their kindness to him and welcoming him and helping to make it possible for him to finish school, his medical school in Europe. Go ahead and put that picture up if you have. That was that morning when he was crying up here on this stage. Now, put the next picture, picture up if you could. Today, he has finished his medical schooling in Europe. Uh, he is waiting for immigration visa to come to America. He is married. He plans to return to the United States and then pursue further education to become a neurosurgeon. But all that probably would not have taken place if it hadn't been for one or really two people in that hall, when everyone else was shunning him, one or two people turned and welcomed him and invited him into their home that very day when others wouldn't. Are you beginning to understand the power of encouragement? And encouragement is when we don't look at people with preconceived notions of their, whether it be their past or what they're, where they've come from, but we give them a fresh start and open our lives to them. Folks, that makes all of the difference. And you have no idea how God can use that to change lives. Each week in the foyer, there are people who come in that look a little rough, maybe a little different than you and me. But nobody walks in this building by chance. Every single time someone comes in, God has a reason. The question is, will you and I be the encourager that reaches out to them? Or will we be the church in Jerusalem that shuns them? It makes, a, courage, it makes a huge difference. Number four. Barnabas was an encourager by rejoicing in new things. The next time we see Barnabas pop up is in Acts chapter 11. Now, we saw earlier that the church in Jerusalem, things were going very well. Everybody was united, but everybody was grouped up in Jerusalem. People weren't going anywhere. So God decided to allow a period of persecution in the church in Jerusalem and that scattered people, Christians, around the world, and they talked about Jesus wherever they went. And this is where we start to read about things in Acts chapter 11. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists also, 
preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let me show you where Antioch is. It's north of Jerusalem. It's that little circle up, up there. And the Jewish Christians went up there and they preached to the Hellenists, who are the, the Greeks. And these Greeks, who are non-Jews, hear about Jesus. They trust in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They're born again. Revival breaks out among the Gentiles, not the Jews. Uh, this may not sound like a very big deal, but for many Jews, this burned their bacon. Yes, pun intended for those of you who caught that. Uh, as Jews, they've prided themselves in being separate from the rest of the world. And now the Gentiles and the rest of the world are hearing about Jesus and being changed by Jesus. That's not allowed. Maybe these Gentile Christians, maybe they should be become Jewish Christians. Maybe they don't just need to follow Jesus. Maybe they need to be circumcised. Maybe they need to have Jewish festivals, Jewish holidays, Jewish clothing. We have to make them Jews. And then as this begins to happen, what the church in Jerusalem does is send Barnabas to sort of check all this out. And here's what we read in verses 22 through 23. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Remember who Barnabas is. Barnabas is the Levite, the guy who's trained in the ways of the temple, who knows all the Jewish rituals, who knows all the Jewish traditions, you would expect Barnabas to pull into town and says, oh, great, you've got Jesus. Now time for classes. You have to learn how to become a Jew just like me. But that's not what he did. Barnabas sees people trusting in Jesus and that Jesus alone has changed their life, and he's glad. He could celebrate that. But God was doing something different than they expected. God was reaching a different group of people than they had targeted. He was doing it in a different way than they ever expected. And Barnabas could be glad about that. He could love that. Now I'd ask you, how many of you can be glad when God reaches a different group of people and he reaches them in a way you didn't expect or didn't plan. And he reaches them in a way you didn't expect and didn't plan, and these people don't have to adopt your culture and your ways to come to Jesus. Now, is the gospel unchanging? Yes, the gospel message is unchanging, but we live in an ever-changing world, and God is reaching people in ever-changing ways. But many times, we're not open to those ever-changing ways. The gospel doesn't change, but the methods that God uses often changes. I'll give you an example. I'm old enough, believe it or not, to have pastored a church that one of the battles we had when I first was a pastor with, with some people, and it came to using hymnals. The church had just begun using projection screens and we had some modern praise and worship music that was done on projection screens, and we had some people that said, wait a minute, we have to use the hymnals. For one song every Sunday, turn off the projection screen and get out the hymnals. 
can't we just put the hymns on the projection screen? No, no, we have to use the hymn book. Now, you and I, I can see you're chuckling over that, right? But it, that's sort of the way it is, you know. Yes, Jesus is the one who changes us, but you have to adopt my methods, my ways, and my traditions, the way things were done in my time. But God can reach people without a hymn book. He can use projection screens. Sometimes the same things happen in other parts of the church. I know when we went to televisions in the halls that some people struggle with that. And I understand and I empathize with that. And they were like, hey, the church always has bulletin boards. We have to use cork bulletin boards. When I grew up, it was always cork bulletin boards. Why are we using televisions? Well, it's a different way to communicate a message. Maybe a more effective way to communicate a message. Things that you couldn't do with cork bulletin boards who haven't changed in three years. I understand there were some struggles with that, but here's what I like. There's one TV that I really love, and it does my heart good every time I walk by it. It's the TV that has the baptisms on it. Because you know, every time there's a baptism on either campus, we record it and we put it on that television with a little narrative of what the people said as they trusted in Christ and were born again. To me, that's our mission, isn't it? Reaching people with Jesus. And that TV helps us celebrate people who have trusted in Jesus. I love that. It's a little harder to do with a cork bulletin board than watching a video of people coming out of the waters of baptism. That is an effective way. Now, folks, God takes the non-changing message of the gospel, and oftentimes it's communicated in different ways to different people. But God uses that non-changing message of the gospel to change lives. Can we celebrate and can we be glad just like Barnabas when things are done a little differently? Or do we find ourselves like the Judaizers and say, you don't just need Jesus, but you have to adopt my culture, my ways, the way things were done in my background. You need that plus Jesus to really be a Christian. Folks, may we be encouragers who can celebrate when God does a new thing with the never-changing gospel. Number five, Barnabas was an encourager by giving people another chance when others wrote them off. This is our last point as we go to Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, we know, had standing together for the gospel. Acts chapter 15, they had gone to Jerusalem to go before the apostles to say that we believe people are changed by Jesus alone. Not by Jesus plus Jewish ways and Jewish traditions, but by Jesus alone. And the apostles agreed with Paul and Barnabas. And you'd think that after fighting that battle together, Paul and Barnabas would be inseparable. But we get to the end of chapter 15, and this is what we hear. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought, not best to take, thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. 
Barnabas wanted to take young John Mark with them on this second missionary journey, but Paul refused. John Mark had been with them on the first missionary journey, but when things got hard, he gave up. He went back home to mom, and so Paul has written him off. You're not going anywhere, buddy. You're staying home. We can't trust you. We can't rely on you. No second chances for you. But Barnabas isn't that way. He's an encourager that wanted to give John Mark a second chance. Now, we know this is information, but I want you to put yourself emotionally into the situation. Imagine if you were John Mark and you know you failed. You know you messed up. And here is the mighty Apostle Paul that everybody knows and respects who has written you off completely and will not give you any second chance. Can you imagine how devastating that was to John Mark to have somebody famous and well-known like Paul just write him off? But also imagine how encouraging it was to have Paul's, probably one of his best friends, Barnabas, stand right up to Paul and say, no, we need to give this young man a second chance. I still believe in him. God is not done with him. We are not going to write him off. Imagine how encouraging that was when Barnabas stood up to the mighty apostle Paul for such a long time and in such a difficult time that actually Paul and Barnabas, these two inseparable people, decided to separate ways because Barnabas stood up for young John Mark. Now in the book of Acts, from that point forward, it follows Paul and a young man named Silas that he brought with him. It follows their story, and Barnabas and young John Mark, who go on a missionary journey, they sort of disappear from the scene. And you wonder what happened to them. But then later in Scripture, we have some hints. In the book of Philemon, we read this as Paul writes this. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. <coughs> Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Here is Paul in prison. Who is with Paul in prison helping him? The very Mark that was formerly written off by him. There was a restoration there. In Colossians, we read this. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Do you see what Paul is saying? A few years ago, everybody knew about how I wrote this guy off and how everyone else started to write him off too. But you know, I'm thankful for Barnabas who kept believing in him because John Mark, he's worth it. He's with me here in jail helping to provide for me. And when he ever comes to you, don't write him off. You welcome him. I was wrong. Boy, am I thankful for Barnabas who was such an encourager. And folks, the story gets even better. In our Bibles, we had what is known as the Gospel of Mark, the very first gospel written. 
it was written by this same young John Mark. If Barnabas hadn't been an encourager, if Barnabas hadn't stood up for him, if Barnabas hadn't kept believing in him, folks, we might not even have the Gospel of Mark in our own Bible. Friends, Barnabas was just a very ordinary man who just went out of his way to encourage people. And God used that in fantastic ways. The poor in Jerusalem were encouraged by his great sacrificial gift. Paul, who couldn't make any headway into the church of Jerusalem, was brought into the church of Jerusalem by Barnabas, who believed in him and welcomed him. Barnabas, he was okay with the gospel spreading without Jewish tradition, without Jewish ways. It's a good thing that Barnabas was such an encourager and couldn't be glad when the same gospel was brought to people in a different way than they expected. And Barnabas was such an encourager, he didn't write off young John Mark, but he kept believing in him. Folks, life is hard. People can be hard. We desperately need encouragers in this world. Now, Barnabas was nicknamed the encourager. I, I don't expect that any of us will be nicknamed the encourager, but I do know what I want our reputation as a church to be in this community, that it's a church filled with encouraging people who go out of our way to love and care for whoever walks through this door. May that be our reputation here in Spirit Lake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you use such an ordinary person, a behind-the-scenes person known as Barnabas, to encourage others. And you use that encouragement in such strategic ways for the gospel. May we be an encouraging church filled with encouraging people who are building others up and we trust and we know that you will use that encouragement in strategic ways for your kingdom in this community and around the world. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.